Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We, we embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. With, without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Super grateful to have you guys here today. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new, welcome to the family. University of Adversity loves having you. Join the tribe. Join the alumni. You guys are going to love this episode. We get off kind of talking surface-level stuff as we do in the beginning and we start to get real deep, and it's a real moving conversation. I gain a lot of respect for this guy by the end of it. He's doing some amazing things. I can't wait to be on his podcast as well, and yeah, you guys are going to love this, so don't stop this until the end. Go right till the end. Leave us a review if you can, and subscribe. You guys are going to love it, I promise. So our next guest is a first-generation immigrant from Ukraine. He's a self-taught digital marketer that was forced to learn as a result of the 2008 recession. Little did he know he would fall in love with it and it would be a big part of his life. He has 11 years of experience leading digital marketing teams in senior leadership roles on over 600 projects in pharma and life sciences, also financial services, legal, fitness, and consumer goods. He founded the Nora Zora Digital in 2012 and is also the host of the, Di the Digital Savage Experience podcast, which is a top 100 podcast on Apple Podcasts. We got into a great conversation here. What I really enjoy about, about this guy is what he's doing, and he's such a good human. Him and his wife are foster parents, and he really gets into the difficult task that is, and he really opens up about you know, what his vision is and just how he's trying to be of service. And I really, really have a lot of respect for him, and I'm super grateful to connect. So, yeah, guys, you're going to love this. Make sure you listen till the end, as I said. Roman Prokopichuk, coming right up. Roman. How you doing, brother? Welcome to the show. Good. Thanks for having me on. Man, I'm, I'm really excited to connect with you. You have quite the story and you're doing cool things with Digital Savage Experiment podcast. What I want to do is really kind of, as we said in the intro, I love to kind of give people context as to where you came from, you know, because everybody sees where we are now, but sometimes... The gold is in that story on where we came from. So walk us through a bit what it was like for you growing up, man, and kind of, you know, piece together the journey for us. Sure, yeah. I'm a first-generation immigrant to uh, the United States from Ukraine. I came here when I was five in 1990 with six other family members. Ukraine was still under the Soviet Union, so we had to go through Vienna, Austria, Rome, Italy, and then here six other family members, my parents, my grandparents, my aunt and my brother to a two bedroom apartment. My grandparents were already retired in Ukraine and had to start working here at 55. My uh, grandfather that passed away last year, he actually at 55, went to do construction roofing for another 20 years that oh, people wow. in their you know, 20s were coming to the US just for a few months to make a few extra bucks and would like quit after a week. Mm. But he uh, did that for 20 more years. So I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I went to school here. I went to Rutgers University for criminal justice. Uh, right before I graduated, I had a internship with the Secret Service, had a top secret clearance, really? um, all kinds of cool stuff like that. 
But uh, in 2008, the uh, economy tanked. So I basically could not find a job anywhere. State, local, and federal agencies froze hiring. And I was basically stuck. So I was down, depressed. Only really thing that kept me kind of sane was going to the gym every day. So I met someone there and they saw that, you know, I was looking for a job. You know, I was hungry. And they basically said, come out after your workout. Let me give you something, which is a little bit sketchy, like a, you know, drug deal or whatever. So they uh, pulled out a packet. It was about search engine optimization. They said, read this, learn this, you know, a month or two, take a month or two to learn this and do it for, you know, my business. And that's kind of 11 years ago, how I got into digital marketing. And then I took it upon myself to keep getting better, growing. In 2012, I founded my own agency. I've held three director roles on the uh, agency side and other agencies, uh, managed teams, seven eight-figure portfolios at this point, worked on about 600 campaigns, a few of which were Fortune 500s, and kind of kept growing in that field. The podcast I started two years ago, about a year ago, I switched over to a interview format. And as of June 2018, me and my wife became foster parents. So since then, we've fostered 16 kids to date. Wow. The first placement we had yeah, uh, was a year, but we were told we were going to be able to adopt the two boys. And it turned out after a year, they got reunified with their biological mom. So that was obviously emotionally hard. And the reason we really got into it and explored it is in the past three years, we've had five miscarriages. I've probably paid about $100,000 out of pocket for infertility treatments. And two of the miscarriages were actually on Christmases, like literally Christmas Day. So the connotation of Christmas now, we can't really enjoy Christmas regardless because it's correlated to that kind of negative event. And that's kind of how I am uh, now. Wow, man. Lots to unpack there. How has that been with your, that's got to be tough on the relationship, man. Like, I mean, how for you guys to get through that, like that's, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, every time it's, it's difficult and you're going into it with kind of a negative um, mindset already because it's happened five times. I think we're, we're actually going to do a cycle in uh, May, 2020, but you know, God willing, independent. But I mean, the, the male kind of uh, emotion always, if there's a traumatic event, usually is not necessarily to show any emotion. So yeah. I was actually on a show about a month ago, a talk show with my wife and covering that because there's not a lot of people talking about things or events like that from the male perspective. So, you know, the, you know, the wife, the girlfriend, whoever deals with it, but you don't necessarily know what the you know the guy in a relationship is going through and it's you know just as hard but you're not necessarily expressing yourself in that manner but communicating being there for each other and knowing that you guys aren't each other's enemy because there's a lot of outside forces too a lot of doubt a lot of crazy stuff going on in your head and if you can go talk to somebody a friend you know a pastor a therapist which helps as well to get kind of an outside perspective or outside uh, point of view as well man it's a big topic too about men having to have this overly masculine tough side as being strength holding it all in you know i'm the tough guy i'm not gonna be weak i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cry i'm not gonna share my story and that's that's how i was raised that's how that's how majority of our men in the world are men nowadays and it's 
it's good to see that some people are able to, you know, open up a bit and be vulnerable because I, I feel that's kind of where the healing's at, you know, and being able to express your truth because that's the real strength, you know? And for you personally in that situation, coming from New Jersey, obviously it's like the, it's not the most openly, it's kind of a lot of people are closed off, right? A lot of people are very, you know, you don't talk about your feelings there, right? Like it's like, it's a foreign thing. How have you been able to be able to open up with your story and how yeah. have you changed over time with that? Or have you even, you know? Yeah, I think I have. And I mean, where I am in the country, it's, it's in the United States, it's very like busy and there's no time for like your feelings or yeah. when people say, Hey, how are you? They're not looking, Oh, my day was crappy and I'm dealing with X, Y, Z. It's just high by, but coming from Eastern Europe, Eastern Europeans usually are more stoic. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't show any emotions usually or a lot of emotions and they could be happy as happy as the person next to you, just jumping up, you know, laughing, same happiness inside. But like the, the culture and growing up in the Soviet Union, it, it, it wasn't really like emotionally expressive. So I had to redefine myself even before that in terms of networking and business because, you know, standing there and looking like super hard or tough and the body language, I had to change that around because it, it led to missed opportunities to connect with people and in terms of networking and business opportunities. So even before that, I recognized that as more of a flaw, more of a cultural flaw, not necessarily of me as an individual. Yeah. And I started working on it. And in terms of the, you know, the miscarriages and other stuff I, I, I've been through, I did start slowly opening up and I do go on other podcasts and shows and stuff and actually talk about it. Talking about it on my own podcast actually helped in terms of kind of the grieving process and just sitting down and even now talking about it, like the conversation is a little different than when you're actually in it or it happens, you know, the day of or close proximity to that date. So I think talking about it and I mean, I'm, I'm open. Like if you ask me anything about my life right now, I'm not one of those like, no, we have to avoid this topic. Like I'll talk yeah. about it. And I think that was a mindset thing that I had to adjust in myself. Yeah, man, I completely agree. And the more you tell your story, the more comfortable you get with it, the more you heal as well. It's, it's crazy. You know, whenever I, I was, I was brought up in a family where it's weak to talk about your feelings. It's weak to tell anybody any of your personal business. And it was hard for me to to be able to to open up and share, man, because you're afraid of the judgment, but it really helps. And that's why as well on podcasts too, having people, giving people that container to be able to share their story and you just, the healing begins, man, you know, and because we're all going through a struggle. We're all going through shit. We all have these things. And the moment you can get comfortable telling your story, I think is where the magic happens. Yeah, I agree. And I think I agree with that kind of uh, the healing process and, and talking about it since podcasting is a audio medium. I switched over to an interview format uh, last March, last February, my grandfather passed away. That was kind of the main role model in my life. Mm. When I switched over since then, I've interviewed about 115 people. So switching to that format and talking to people and actually like connecting and mentioning in some of the interviews and some of the discussions like you said, actually helped with the healing process and made talking about it easier each time. Yeah. Would you say that, I just want to go back a bit here. Would you say that coming from Eastern Europe and kind of having that show no emotion, 
side of things would have definitely helped you in your original, you know, in doing like that other work that you were doing. Like it would have been probably more ideal for that job, right? It would have. I used <laughs> yeah. to, in, in, in college, I used to play poker a lot and uh, it helped with kind of that, that stoic poker face. I could but, tell you'd have a real straight face, man. I didn't know if I'd get a laugh out of you there. I was like, oh, this guy's got this like <laughs> this straight face. Yeah. And <laughs> like I said, it's a mindset thing. And like yeah. it, you, I have to keep telling myself it's okay. You know, it's a right to yeah. laugh. It's a right to just chill out and, you know, kind of let your guard down in a way. What's it like when you go back there? Do you ever go back and kind of see things, see things differently through the lens that you see it now? And like, how challenging is that? So I left, like I said, I was five. I've been yeah. back. One time I was back in high school in 2006. And then after I graduated college in 2008, I haven't been back with all the like crazy Eastern Europe, Russia stuff, and then all the other crazy stuff. But I'm from Lviv, Ukraine, the uh, western part of Ukraine, closer to the Polish border. It's a 750-year-old uh, city. It's on the World UNESCO Heritage Site list. Million people, so it's you know fairly urban, but like old-school architecture and stuff. So I don't know if I can live there, honestly. Like we just said about yeah. like you know the the different kind of mindset, because although I speak the language, read like I've been raised here in the United States. Yeah. So my mindset's different. The way I approach things are different. Even so, like social situations that I would be in, I would be even though I'm Ukrainian, I would be reacting to from what I experienced in the United States. Mm. yeah yeah i mean it's completely different over there it's like it's crazy and even even in you know you go to france or you go to any country it's just they've done things like that for so long that that's just the way it is and there's not there's not much give as to changing the way they think about things <laughs> it's pretty interesting but i i respect it at the same time you know yeah, I mean, it has its pros and cons in terms of like culture and history, but then it's, yeah. I think stopping something or moving on from something, if you know it doesn't work, or obviously it's a, you know, uh, a united world in a sense with everything we have going on in terms of technology and the economy. So I think like uh, making a few leeways in terms of like a culture, if you do have a certain, you know, way that can change would definitely benefit, but I'm not, like you said, you know, condoning or saying like, you know, you should just switch everything up because you've been doing this for a thousand years and, and, a, and another country says, you know, I don't really react to it well. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's talk about like your marketing and all that. And then, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole other beast. How has that been for you over the last, you know, since 2010 and how, how has that changed? And, and, you know, how have you had to evolve during all this? Like walk us through some of that because what the way things are now have not always been the way they are. And, you know, how, how have you dealt with the challenges of that and, and the changes in, in how we do things every single day? Yeah, I think it's being agile and constantly evolving as a professional because the digital marketing field is constantly changing. So things yeah. that worked 10 years ago don't work and platforms to advertise on didn't exist so social media was literally at its infancy facebook existed twitter existed that's about it and it wasn't as popular i mean linkedin was around it wasn't as popular either but um i started in search engine optimization which has changed as well mm. so it's constantly learning constantly redefining and the amount of campaigns that i've worked on 
and the teams that I've managed, like I learned directly and I learned from the teams that I managed. And my kind of management or leadership approach is like, I'm not a generalist, so I know how to do it. So if something goes wrong, I'll jump in the trenches and show the person how to do it. Because if I show them, there's a better probability that they'll do it correctly instead of me just standing on a pedestal and just telling them it's wrong. But I had to evolve that. Basically, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself and just focus on search engine optimization. And I'm not saying it's wrong because people get a particular kind of lane and stay in their lane and become like a expert in it. And I am an expert in uh, search engine optimization. That's still kind of my core pillar. But I knew the ecosystem was changing. So I had to learn social media, how it connects, social media strategy, paid search, paid social as well, content marketing, analytics, and other things in terms of digital marketing. So one, I could be more marketable. And even if not for that fact, building my own agencies, and using remote employees, using people on site that I knew what they were doing. So it's not one of those things. I like to learn something to a certain extent just so I know how to do it. So if I'm going to outsource something, I have an idea of it. So people aren't just doing whatever they feel like and think that I don't even know what they're doing. So Yeah, it's always good to learn. You got to know, know your shit. I mean, just in case because people can, people can leave, people can take off and then you're, you're left with, you know, doing it yourself. So you got to know it for sure. Explain to people what exactly SEO is, search engine optimization. Why is it important? Because I know it's one of those things that people talk about, but maybe a lot, a lot of the listeners may not really understand the importance of it and what needs to happen. Sure. So it's basically optimizing your website. So you get found on search engines. You do okay. certain things the way you build a site. So there's on-site, off-site, and technical. Technical is like the back end, the nuts and bolts, the code, how the site is built, how it's coded. If it's properly coded, is it working for mobile and desktop and different versions? Can people get the similar experience on different, you know, however they access it? Then there's on-site, which things that you see, kind of the front end. So the, the imagery, the videos on the site, the content, usually the content. So the content has a strategy about it. So basically, you have to do research, uh, figure out what people are actually searching for, pertaining to what you're going to put on your website in terms of your business or if it's an informational site, and basically build the content with the strategy in mind. Mm. It shouldn't be focused to appease the uh, search engine bots, basically uh, bots that crawl your website, see what it's about, and kind of deduce where you should stand on a search engine results page. but Focusing on a user in mind, because if you do optimize for a search engine and it's like crappy content and it's not adding any value, even if you show up on the first page, eventually you will drop off. There's about two to 300 ranking factors in terms of getting you, you know, on the first page of Google or other search engines. Usually you want to focus on Google, at least in the U.S. market. Mm -hmm. And if the content sucks and you're not adding value, the bounce rate is going to be high. I mean, somebody's going to land on it right away, see it's nothing what they need and leave. And the higher the bounce rate, the lower chance you have to show up on the first page because Google is seeing that, you know, the bounce rate is so high, then the people landing there aren't getting what they need. So why would they show it on the first page if the people aren't getting a good user experience? So there's an issue with that. So having a good content strategy, optimizing the site, there's things like metadata, like descriptions and titles, 
internal linking of the site in terms of getting from one page to another and navigation that comes into play for on-site. And then there's off-site. So anywhere you get linked from. So if there's, you know, Inc. Magazine does a story about you and links to your website, that's a backlink to your website. It could be no follow that doesn't necessarily pass direct kind of uh, SEO juice, if you will, or follow that basically gets direct value, but it's still important regardless. So it's basically your link profile, all the sites across the internet that link to you and how kind of reputable they are. And if they're legit or you're using a service to kind of spam it out, obviously there's malicious activity. Like if I'm some kind of spammer or have something against you, I can just bombard your site with like porn links or, or something crazy. You know what I mean? from like Russia or India and whatever, and that's gonna have a, de a detrimental effect on your website. So figuring out if you're taking over a campaign, that's one of the things you may have to fix. That's one reason the site may be penalized and not showing up fairly. But uh, over time, having a kind of a link acquisition strategy and in terms of clients, I really recommend a podcast as a great medium for this, not only from the PR aspect and sharing your story, but usually, you know, you get a link in the show notes on the podcast website, and that adds value in terms of referral traffic as well as direct SEO value as well. So that's kind of just a, a mm -hmm. brief overview of on-site, off-site, and technical. And those are kind of the three buckets that go into uh, search engine optimization. Yeah, it's interesting. And I was actually going to go into that about podcasting is how important or how can you maximize for all the podcast listeners out there? How can you maximize your, your SEO with your show to help it grow? Like, do you, what are some things that you can do or how important is it to do that with your podcasts? Yeah, I mean, if you do have a website, a dedicated website, optimizing it as best do, as possible. Do you recommend having a separate, like a podcast website itself or is your own personal website enough or? I mean, it depends how you structure it. If you, if you see like it's a standalone brand, then maybe having it alone Right now, kind of it's under the bucket of my, my podcast is under the bucket of my digital marketing agency, but it kind of switched from just a digital marketing focus to now like encompasses more uh, motivation and entrepreneurship and, you know, people's journeys to now. So now I have to go and build a, you know, separate kind of brand for it. So figuring mm -hmm. out where it is now and you can always kind of pivot, but if you have that idea to begin with, you should definitely kind of figure out which bucket that you kind of fall in. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting game out there right now, man, with, you know, trying to figure out the best ways to grow the best way to grow your show, your influence, you know, as time goes on, there's more shows and more shows. So it's always interesting to hear, you know, people's perspective on the best way to grow a podcast. Yep. And in terms, if you do have a website, a standalone website, so including the transcript, obviously that's unique content. That's a lot of content. Having it in some kind of a consumable element so somebody's not scrolling down the page for like 20 minutes, but have it still indexable. And in terms of kind of your show notes, have them as detailed as possible. And then I would recommend possibly adding other, you know, content themes or, or ways you can incorporate the guests. So if you do have a blog on that, maybe have an extra kind of blog post about the guest, dive more into the, you know, the guest, add value in terms of linking back from that blog post to whatever the assets the guest has. And in terms of kind of monetizing a podcast, that also adds value too, because you can pitch that within kind of your package as well. Mm. 
Yeah, monetizing it. So what are, what are some strategies that people can, can look at for that? I, if you're getting into podcasting just for simply monetizing, that's kind of the wrong reason. Yeah, I agree. So right now, I mean, I'm, I'm having advertisers reach out to me. They're not necessarily a good fit or I want to get to a, a decent place where I feel like, you know, I'm ready to do it. I mean, I do have ads on the podcast, but some of these bigger opportunities, I have to kind of structure in a way that it's, you know, mutually beneficial. So yeah. one, if, if you're going to think you're going to get rich quick, or you're going to be a millionaire podcasting, mm, maybe eventually, but you know, people jumping in the podcast space, like, you know, actors and celebrities, obviously they already have that established audience. Yeah. You're starting from, you know, you have a small loyal following. That's awesome. But basically growing that, I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's the key and trying everything kind of under the sun and see what works for you. Obviously different genres work with different things. Like true crime is very popular. So there's different ways you can obviously target those kind of fans. And then obviously you have the whole fans of the show. So Patreon or other apps like that, where you can add additional content or, you know, additional value in the sense of, you know, people supporting your show as well. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, I would say the same thing. I tell people don't, don't go into this thinking you're going to just cash in right away. I mean, you have to go into it thinking adding value without expecting anything in return. And then that's what I did, you know, for a year. I, I was just okay with it. And you got to be okay with it because if you're not adding value, you can't expect, you know, to be paid for it. You know, it takes a while. Like some of the big dogs like Lewis Howes, the guy's been doing it for like eight years. Like, yep. I mean, school, I ran into him actually at a podcast movement in Orlando. Like I briefly yeah. spoke to him, said hi, whatever. But yeah, that, that's another thing. People don't see the whole journey of success. So, yeah. you know, it's a social media world and you're living or seeing a highlight reel and it's not authentic because you're not seeing the, you know, trials and tribulations and how long it actually took. Like his thing, I, I, I mean, it, it's at least been, like you said, eight, nine years, maybe yeah. to get to this point. And I would recommend, like you said, adding as much value as possible. So not going uh, one way to promote your stuff is going on other people's shows and trying mm. to add value. And if you are going on another person's show, do not plug your stuff. Just naturally yeah. talk about who you are, what you do. And then the rest will you know, speak for itself. I've been on a few interviews where like I spoke about, you know, X, Y, Z that has nothing to do with about digital marketing or anything like that, but they connected with me as an individual and like the fact that I was real and then found out more about me. And even the, the guests have had like a best of that the mm. episode is popular and brought me back. So that awesome. leads to opportunity when you add value and you try to focus on legacy and not being, you know, kind of, I mean, in my opinion, selfish, but yeah. you know, some people, do it to each their own, but I mean, that's just my mindset. Yeah. There's some people that have their agenda coming on podcasts. It's like they have a thing, a, a real like system. And you know, for me, I, that's the thing too, is I like to just, I don't like to plug. I, I like to just talk. And I believe that people are buying the human. People aren't buying the thing, right? At the end of the day, we can outsource all these things. You can have a marketing agency. You can do all this stuff. But if you're, if they don't like you, then they're not going to want to do business with you, right? I mean, it's, it's so important that there's the human behind the business. And that's what's good about this, about podcasting is that they can get, people can get to know us. And they, we build that trust and authority because you can't hide. 
You know, you just, you're, you're yourself. You share your story. You connect with people. There's highs, there's lows. They can really get to know you. And then they want to know more about, well, what is this, what is this guy? What does this girl do? And I mean, that's the beautiful thing. It opens these doors without stuffing things down people's throats. You know, yeah, it, I mean, it allows them to really just to learn about you and they may hate you. They may love you. Great. You know? Yeah, I, ideally that. And if you are going on as a guest or you have your own podcast or you are looking to incorporate kind of sharing your story on podcast, I would recommend not plugging your thing, plugging. I mean, I haven't yeah. had interviews where it's like, tell me a little bit about your journey and like, oh, well, I found it so-and-so and I invented it. I'm like, dude, that, that's not giving anything in terms of kind of yeah. your struggle, what you had to deal. There's no like realness or rawness to that, you know, answer. So I've, I've had to kind of flirt with even running some episodes because of that, because it was just like an infomercial. So yeah. I'd be, I would be mindful. So if you go into it with that mindset, you know, you may have an instance where the the host of the show may not even air it because it's like you said not adding any value to their audience yeah and that's why i loved you know doing it around adversity because it forces me to kind of get people to go deep a bit you know and that it's not about the business it's not about i you know obviously the business comes up sometimes and the the, the product comes up which is fine i let people plug at the end but I really want them to get to know the human for who they are, you know, where they may have not heard that story or that vulnerability, because that's what we crave, man. We crave the stories. We crave hearing that people are humans and people are going through shit too, you know? And even though they're successful, they're not, life isn't always perfect, you know? Yeah, I can attest to that. So 2019 was a great year for me professionally. So with uh, digital marketing, when I first started, I, after that first opportunity I got, I, another company uh, came to me with an opportunity and it was a contract role. It was 16 bucks an hour. So at that point, I had to put my ego to the side that I have a you know, bachelor's degree and like this is another foot in the door. Let me take that. So from $16 to now six figures, gross, not net, and moving forward and hopefully obviously attaining other goals in, in that sense, Nobody sees that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Nobody. Yeah. And that's 11 years. It's like one of those things where, okay, I'm going to jump in this or this is a new hot thing. I'm going to get into crypto. I'm going to get into the cannabis industry. Mm. If you're going to ride those kind of get uh, rich quick schemes or waves, you're never going to catch that wave, honestly. Yeah, man. It's the long-term game because if all of this shit is stripped away, what's left, right? There's, it's always going to change. And this is my example too. So I just recently had my Instagram account hacked. Oh, I had a, I had a fucking massive fall. It was, I worked my ass off for that for almost, you know, two and a half years. It's gone now trying to get it back. But you know, Gary V talked about it and you know, Aubrey Marcus has talked about it. You know, all that shit can be taken away from us. We put all our eggs in one basket and we rely on that and it's gone and now what and that's the important thing is that we have to understand that the but at least now you know i know i have a show i know that i'm adding value and i'm confident with that i don't care about instagram i'll start fresh i don't give a shit right some people are like oh man that's horrible i can't believe you're not upset more i'm like well what are you gonna do it's my own fault for 
for really being so focused on the one thing. And it's just so important to diversify and be everywhere, omnipresent, add value the best you can. Because at the end of the day, all these platforms can be taken away from us. Social media, we don't know what it's going to be, but we know we're going to have our evergreen content. We know we're going to have that value out there. So however, you know, and if you're a good human and you can connect with humans, then no matter what, you're going to be able, you'll be fine. Whatever this thing turns into, you know? Yeah, I think being in control of your personal brand, not necessarily that you're trying to brand yourself, but what you put out there regardless, if you have a strategy or not, how do people perceive you? And like you said, like that, that's crappy that happened, but also it's a platform that you knowingly are on that's free that you're not technically in control of. Yeah. So Instagram could have took out, like obviously you're not doing sketchy stuff, but Instagram could have banned your account and took it down. I had this freaking crappy thing. I got on TikTok a few months ago and I'm focusing a lot about adding value because I know there's not a lot of foster parents talking about from the male perspective what it's like. So a lot of content. So first video, I mean, it's, it's better in terms of what I've seen on other platforms, like 3,000 likes, 25,000 views. Second video, accounts banned. Somebody was salty about me like sharing something and wow. they did a manual review and then TikTok banned me for a week. And now coming back, I feel like there's like a shadow ban. Every video that I put up, it, it's capped at a certain amount. So, I mean, I'm upset about it, but was I going to be able to control if something happened? If I got to a million, two million, similar thing could have happened. So like yeah. you said, be, the, be in control of you and not depend on all these other outlets, social media, what have you. Like you said, you have that content, you have who you are what you put out there. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, what you own. Yeah. And you just got to be your truth too. And there's just so much phony baloney bullshit out there with people. You got to be true. You got to show your good, your bad, your ugly times. And sometimes it's easy to get caught up in showing the good stuff, of course, but it is good to show, you know, that it isn't always roses and rainbows or whatever, sunshine and rainbows. Right. And that's the part of it. And that's the long-term game that I always try and think about. It's like, I, I ought to be around for a while until you'll be around for a while. It's like, just be a good human and add value. And things will, things will, you know, you'll meet people, connections will happen. And, you know, the, the shitty people will be, will be weeded out. That's generally how it goes, you know? And I, I feel like no matter what happens with all these platforms, as long as you just stay true to yourself, that you know that's where the gold is and i really appreciate you bringing up talking about foster kids because dude this is powerful stuff and for them to shut you down because of that like how did that let's talk about that how does that make you feel now about wanting to share does that make you feel a little bit more worried about opening up about that or does that make you want to share it more no i mean i'm hungrier dude i I share everything i have to share and I'm being from what I've experienced and what I've already done. I'm not putting out a false facade about who I want to mm-hmm. be and just be like fake it till you make it. Like, this is what I'm going through. This yeah. is what I, I mean. I haven't made multi-million dollars on a course, but I have made six figures starting from 16 bucks an hour. And that's pretty good up until now. But you have to understand the context of the, of the globe. So, so TikTok was musically. They got bought by a Chinese company. China has very stringent and, and different policies. So it's not a U.S. policy. It's like a, a, a Chinese thing. Wow. So, you know, the only thing I can think of is I had a thing for, for uh, social media policy in terms of being a foster parent. For privacy issues, you have to block out each kid's face. That's just something I do 
if I share pictures publicly, like put a heart or an emoji, that was done. The only thing I really think of is, you know, we we're playing in the pool and I, 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 you know, took a picture and it was, you know, two boys and, and their bathing suits. So somebody could have said, oh, you're there, you're showing kids or whatever. Yeah. And they reviewed it. And then it's a manual review process. If you get mm -hmm. the wrong manual reviewer, bum, you're, you're done, you're banned. So it was like just a waiting game at that point, like you're banned for two weeks. And then similar thing, somebody was salty, went on my thing, reported a picture, then I contested it, or uh, a slideshow or a video, I contested it, and then they said, this is deemed okay. So like, where do you draw the line? At that point, it's like, you know, I got other platforms, I have my podcast, I put on videos, I go on shows, whatever, I can still share it, I can still, I can stand outside my house and share it, you know what I mean? I'm not gonna let that dictate me. No, for sure. How has that been for you guys with adopting kids? Talk us through a bit of the journey with that, man, because, uh, you know, you don't hear about this very often. And I think it's, I think it's awesome, dude. I, I love, I love hearing it. And there's so many kids out there that need homes, you know, walk us through this a little bit. Yep. So we decided to be foster parents and we are technically foster to adopt. So if we get kids in our home and the parental rights are terminated by the court to the, whoever the guardian was, and there's no family to take the children we would be the first people the state comes to and saying, would you like to adopt these children? So the process took a year to get licensed. We had to go to orientation. We had to do something that's called pride training, which is 42 hours in class, three hours a week at night. And then there was a home study done, which is basically like a picture or a uh, persona built on your family, who you are as a family, why you want to foster, your intentions, background information, you had to get recommendations, all this, you know, criminal background checks, work history, and all kinds of stuff, which took almost a year. And then at the end, you have to basically have a home check and have your uh, home licensed. So there may be safety issues uh, or issues like that. And if there aren't any, they figure out how many kids can be in your home. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily if you have 10 bedrooms, you don't have to have 20 kids or whatever. But you say, you know, I'm comfortable with having one, two kids. We've had five kids at once, the most. And like I said, since June, we've had 16. It's been, it, I mean, it's been challenging, more so for, for the, the system itself. You know, there's a lot of bureaucracy. I think the system's broken. So I've been trying to advocate and go on as many things as possible and share that and hopefully, you know, bring about change in terms of how, you know, foster kids are treated in the system and me being an advocate for them because a lot of the time they don't get the services they need therapy and stuff like that. So I have to go and like scream at people in terms of like the state capital and like some of their workers to actually like get the ball moving. Mm. So I feel like there's often times like foster kids are like an afterthought, you know, and it's sad and they're coming each person or each kid is coming with their own unique situation problems. And basically it's helped me a lot with my emotional IQ because it, I would say for anyone that has a biological kid, it's a lot harder because you're getting a kid, you don't know absolutely what's happened to them, what triggers them, what's going on, they already have their experiences, and then you have to figure out how to help this child, mm. how to make him feel safe, and how to like just, just be around and have the kid just be functional. They're coming from abusive situations. Oh, We've had an emergency removal that came like two hours after being taken from the home. The kid had like bloody nose, uh, black eyes. My wife took him to the hospital in the morning. They're like, oh yeah, we've seen him. He was in here six months ago for a skull fracture and the kid just turned two. Oh. So it's just like, you see, like you get, you get hardened. Like there's a lot of bad people out there. Like sometimes I just want to like put people through walls 
based on some of the stories I see and some of these, you know, parents that are like horrendous. And then, and like you think, because, you know, you want kids with your wife, you've had five miscarriages, you gladly take a child, but do you have all these kids in, in the system and their parents or guardians just like neglecting them, abusing them, not, you know, paying any attention to them. And there's 700,000 kids in the U S in the system. So if they oh stay in the God. system and they basically don't get adopted and the parents lose parental rights, they basically stay in the system and age out. When you age out, those kids, I believe, have a 50% higher chance to end up on drugs uh, in gangs or just, you know, dead because they kind of feel hopeless and nobody was ever there. So we just try to be uh. there as if they're in our home for a day, a week, a month, a year or more or permanently, just give them a, a dose of what reality could be and what life could be and their, you know, existing situations they've been in or what they're going to experience. There's always something better, you know, to look forward to. Oh, man. <laughs> it's dude I, I admire that so much and i just it's 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 just like incredible that you're doing that man i yeah you know we take it for granted sometimes thinking about this and what these kids go through and you know what is the what is the experience like what's the interim so they they get given up their parents give them up or taken away and then where are they where what are they doing in the meantime like where are they how does that even work? Well, usually they're not given away. They're taken away. Uh, New Jersey, each state in the U.S. has like a different policy or okay. a goal. And in New Jersey, it's reunification over anything. They get taken for a reason. Either something happened to them or the parents aren't fit to care for them. Okay. They, once they get taken, they're in the system. As soon as they're in the system, there's a list of foster homes and we get a call. Like we have a, you know, a sibling set. This is what happened. Um, this is looking like it's going to be long-term. Can you take them? And literally we say yes. And they're dropped off, you know, with a bag, you know, we got to go shopping for them, build beds, this, that, or the other. Wow. And it's like, here, figure it out. Here's this little human being or human beings and run with it. I mean, usually you really don't have that much help from the, from the system, but the parents that they do take them away or the guardians, they have an opportunity to get them back. So they have to go through a process of stuff and show that they can care for them. Usually it's a year process. And when they do get in the system, they do background checks. So they prefer them to be with family or friends. So they go, if you know the mom doesn't know who the dad is, figuring out a potential father doing a DNA test. And if they are the father, seeing if they can take them, mm. which is crappy because they've never been in the kid's life and it's basically a stranger. Like I said, so figuring out a family or a friend, that's the ideal situation. That's actually happened before where somebody stepped up. We had a placement, actually the boy that I said, he came, you know, abused his, his mom was actually prostituting out of the apartment and he wouldn't speak. He was nonverbal at two. So I think she like beat him just to stay quiet, like, you know, in a corner or whatever. So uh, an aunt came forward and basically took, took him after a month. She's never been in his life. We already warmed up and got him to like open up. And then he was taken. So it's like one of those things where it's like emotional roller coasters and the facts can change like, you know, within an hour. Man, there's some people out there that shouldn't be having kids. I mean, if anything, parents should go through these tests before they have kids, man. Like, it's, you know, what you guys have to go through in order to adopt. I mean, parent, some of these parents that are having these kids shouldn't even be having them. There needs to be some sort of... You know, imagine there was a screening to have kids. I mean, obviously you can't because of human rights or whatever, but 
It's like the, the things that you're talking about, about being screened as an adopted parent, don't even happen for the actual parent in the first place, which is so crazy. Well, it's you know? ass backwards. So for like, example, so... we need we need to have a washer and dryer, which we already have in yeah. my house. When they go back, the, the, they don't need to have a washer and dryer. Like we need to have this, but they don't. So it's like a double standard. And I think oftentimes they're very lenient in terms of, you know, the situations they put the kids back. And it's just like, it pisses me off sometimes. Like I get like real mad at the caseworkers yeah. and stuff like that and get stern with them. I'm like, this is how I would act for my bio biological kids. So like this nonsense isn't going to fly. Like I'm going to go to your supervisor. I'm going to go whatever. Like I've met the governor of New Jersey at like tech stuff. I'll go directly to the director. Like eventually somebody's going to be a shot caller. That's going to give me what I need. If you can't do that, then give me the number of somebody who can, because this is absurd. And you're basically adding to the neglect of this child. Mm -hmm. So kids have visits too. So when the parent gets a little bit better, they get visits and it works as a process. First it's supervised on site, usually two hours. Then it gets graduated to four. Then it's unsupervised on, on, uh, on site. Then they supervise at the parents or guardians home. Then it's unsupervised. Then it moves to overnights. And usually when it's at overnights, you get a sense that in about a month to like, uh, you know, six weeks, the kids are going back because it's, you know, safe enough. And that's kind of like the process it follows. And when does the process happen where you get to say, I want to adopt this, this kid? Like I'm, I'm having them now. Is there, we don't, what, how we does, don't dictate that. So how like, does that happen? How, how do you get to know who you can adopt though? For well, you, there, like, there's people that like there's kids because right now we're foster to adopt. So if you, if you're doing straight adopt, there's, kids you go to different events they hold like li different events where you like you know kind of i mean it's not to say but it's like you're networking you know what i mean to see who's a good fit so like Fuck. oh yeah we're you know we we play basketball you seem to like it let's meet again you know what i mean it's like a i guess speed dating or like a blind oh, date man. kind of so it's like very like whatever Crazy. I, I don't, yeah <laughs> so those kids that have had their guardians the guardians have had parental rights terminated and they're just kind of floating in the system, those are the ones you can adopt directly. Our situation that we kind of had an issue with is basically we're fostered to adopt, but we, it, you know, we're, we're open to those opportunities that are straight adoptions too. But the first placement, we had two boys, we got them June 1st, uh, the day we got, uh, June 1st, 2018, the day we got licensed. And basically right off the jump, they said, okay, this looks like it's gonna be in termination and you're gonna be able to adopt them. So they already set up our mind like, okay, these are going to be our kids if we connect, whatever. And we ended up having him for a year. And towards the end, we knew it was moving to reunification, but our mind was set up like we would be able to adopt these kids. So like the expectations were set like, oh, yeah, yeah, but that wasn't the case. Dude, it's got to be tough because you build these bonds with these kids. You know, you see them suffering. You see them going through this shit, and then they're just, you know that they're not going back to a better environment, which that's... Well, that's, I mean, it's sad and just crazy, like a, man. A, adults suck too because like, I, yeah. I, I mean, I have no patience for people. Like I've said to like these state employees, like if you worked in a private sector, I would straight up fire you in like a week in terms of your communication skills and like oh. the lack of getting things done, it's, it's absurd. So like for that, for those two boys, you know, we, we told somebody in the system, we're like, they're going back. We don't necessarily uh, feel 
like it's the right time or whatever they the mom needs more services they need more like coping stuff to go back to like well they're probably going to end up in the system again so you're going to probably get like why would i want that like what kind of grimy answer is that like so you're telling me for them to get back in the system something bad has to happen to them or them witnessing something bad again and then then being thrown in there when they could have just stayed here and you could have did your job and had the mom, mom better services and then them ha have better services in order to prepare them to go back like what kind of like backwards mindset is that and i experience that you know on a weekly basis man that just frustrates me so much hearing that because i'm the same as you i'd get so pissed about that stuff like just the <laughs> incompetence and just i know the kind of people working in those industries are just some of them are just as thick as the fucking is the worst you can't get well, the issue is it's it's a government system so yeah. there's no incentive you know what i mean yeah. you're like skating and you're like basically we've had a caseworker said to us no matter what you say about me like it doesn't matter because you're not going to get me fired so like they're coming oh, with that entitled mindset fuck. so you know they're not doing it for the right reason and they're not there for the kids like the kid basically the kids were a number a case number to, to yeah. this caseworker and i'm like i would fire you right now like like oh, are you man. serious right now because they they don't have any incentive they just coast you know they're not they're not being promoted or making more wealth for themselves so whatever their salary is you know fifty thousand dollars it's you know maybe fifty thousand one hundred next year it's not like they're entrepreneur where they're making 50 and then you know their business takes off and they're making five ten million where they're hungry to you know keep reinventing themselves and and not being complacent and and trying to do as much as they can like they're just kind of coasting yeah. Wow. Where are you? So what's your goals? Like what's your goals with this, with this, like what's your ideal situation for what you guys are doing right now with, with adopting or with being foster parents? Like what, what are you looking to create with this in the next five years or, or whatever permanently? Well, ideally we're still naturally trying. So hopefully yeah. having that happen, I, if we do have that happen we said we would still foster and mm. probably adopt. So, you know, adopting a child or pair of siblings and still fostering. I mean, it depends where I live, but decide to, if you decide to move to another state, you have to get relicensed and start this whole process over again. But I definitely want to do that. And like I said, I've been on a lot of podcasts and I did like a, a, a talk show focusing on kind of uh, adoption and foster care last month. So basically just being an advocate and showing one, you always see the negative stories, you know, the foster parents abusing the kids or whatever. You don't see this good home. And like the stuff I put on social media or anywhere, like it's showing a different perspective. Like these kids mm -hmm. are going to Disney world. These kids are going to aquariums, X, Y, Z. Like, you know, we're making sacrifices that I'm happy to make. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That they're enriching our lives too. Like I'm getting, like I've become a better operator and leader because of these kids, because on a daily basis, I also see, like all these trivial things. I don't really care about the stupid email that somebody like put me on blast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I have better emotional IQ because that doesn't really phase me. I have a kid that, you know, is suffering this trauma that I'm trying to be there for that email can diffuse itself. And then I can address it a little bit, mm. you know, differently, but it's definitely helped in that sense, but mainly being an advocate and maybe fostering change in terms of what the system actually looks like and having it benefit kids more so than it, currently does it's got to help you as well like in your business and like you said in your patience and having empathy for things and they're just not as big of a deal 
And, you know, like it's got to help you so much in business, man, and relationships and networking, you know, to be able to, you know, what you're going through, man, is very challenging. Like business is like a side, like a, a minor, a minor thing compared to this shit. This is real people's lives, real emotions. And yeah, it's like, it's it's crazy to think about it. Like it's, yeah. And it's one of those things where people are always that don't, you know, foster aren't having experience that, Oh, I could never do it. You guys are so brave. But it's like in anything else, like it's something that you tell yourself you can't do. We told ourselves like, we can't do it. You know what I mean? Should we become foster parents? And then we decided, yes. The first call we got was for two boys. We originally wanted a baby. Can we take them? Uh, We don't know, but the alternative was if we couldn't take them, they would be split up and go to different homes. And we saw that the only thing you really had at that point was themselves, like for each other, to be there for each other. And we wouldn't split them up. So like with that or life or whatever, you have that self-doubt. I mean, it's like, example, I hate flying. I fly a lot. I, I see the plane crashing every time I take off. I'm like shaking, whatever. Don't talk to me. But my friends convinced me like 10 years ago to go skydiving. I don't regret that. That was one of the best experiences I've had. Now, you know, would I do it again? Probably not. But it's one of those things where you're your biggest kind of, you know, judge and your biggest hurdle to get through something. Yeah, man, that's so true. Yeah, it's, we are our worst enemies. We are to ourselves, you know, and if you don't love yourself, I mean, the reflection of how we, you know, treat other people, the reflection of how much we love other people is a reflection of how we treat ourselves. You know, it's super important to have that, that compassion for yourself and to believe in yourself. You know, it's in, and there's, there's no one else that can do it for you, but you. Yep. I I always say it's like a you versus you mindset. And I think also another reason that me personally became a a foster parent was a history of like abuse, uh, physical abuse in my family. Like my, my dad abused my mom and I've Mm. seen him like throw her down the stairs pregnant with my brother. He was supposed to be like stillborn. So when I was little, I already told myself, regardless of the situation, I'm going to be a better father and a role model for you know kids in my home and i think some people are like oh i don't want to be like that reach a certain level uh actors athletes business professionals like i you know i never wanted to be a role model well i'm sorry but that kind of goes along with your influence like you want to take selfies you want to get a million likes you you know you have to have some kind of accountability for your actions also Mm. dude man i really admire this man i'm not just saying that this is awesome i'm i'm so so happy you shared this because this is so important. This is something I haven't talked about on the show. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad that we got to dive into this topic because it's so important and it shows your character and it shows, you know, that what you're doing is just the mission you're on is, is so important. And it just, yeah, it just makes business and all this other stuff seem so minor when you're dealing with these lives and, and, and trying to move the needle in the right direction with this stuff. And thank you, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing that with us. No, my pleasure. I hope that, you know, it helps at least one person. If somebody has a question or looking to get into fostering or, you know, other experiences I've had, just, you know, shoot me a whatever and yeah. I'll get back to you. Dude, where is the best place for everybody to find you out? And I know anybody listening to this, you can't help but want to work with a guy like yourself. Like, I mean, it, I, you, you can't help it, you know, and, and, 
I would love to be able to, for people to be able to learn more about you and, you know, what it is you're doing. So yeah, where, where, where's the best place? Yeah. I mean, the company site is uh, novazoradigital.com. My podcast is the Digital Savage Experience podcast. If you Google that, you can find, you know, it on, on every major, you know, podcast syndicator. And then, you know, just Google my first and last name. I'm on pretty much every social platform as well. Awesome, man. To finish off, one, one question I always ask, what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? Resilience, because it's going to keep coming and uh, you have to keep learning from your experiences. You have a bad year, off year, it doesn't mean the next year is going to be like that. I mean, mm. it's what you make it. You take something from the failure and then you, you know, persevere on through. Yeah, awesome. Dude, Roman, thank you so much, man, for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, everybody. Make sure you check out Roman. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Man, powerful, powerful stuff. Listen to his podcast. Go subscribe right now. Tell him you heard him on U of A. And yeah, what a, what a story. I hope you guys got value from that. Make sure you leave us a review. Subscribe. Love you guys. We'll catch you next time.